Hey, good evening and welcome to another week of BSF. We're glad you're here. We're going to be taking a look this week at the second part of Matthew chapter 5, looking at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Let me pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Matthew's gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son. Thank you, Lord, that he is the anointed king and that his words are trustworthy. Uh, Lord, thank you that Jesus was not only one who came and taught about the law and that we find in the Old Testament, but he was one who could live that law perfectly and completely and that we can trust his teaching, we can trust his words and apply it to our lives and be confident that Jesus will lead us into greater flourishing in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Nice to have you here. My name is Brett, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, One of the greatest sermons in the Bible, if not the greatest, and certainly very important. And this is a moment that Matthew has been driving us towards as an author. He he really wants to focus on Jesus' teaching, and to this point, he's given us a lot of reasons that we should listen to and pay attention to the teachings of Jesus. And so last week we looked at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Vicki gave us information about the Beatitudes and the position of true human flourishing as we think about the way that we are to live as citizens of this kingdom. And this week we're going to, to hear more from Jesus about righteousness And what does it look like to live uh, in a way that is righteous in God's eyes? So we're going to go ahead and get started. But before we do, I wanted to wonder and think about, do any of you have a car? You know, cars are really complicated machines. There's a lot of parts. There are uh, a lot of things that can go wrong with your car. Uh, I've experienced some of those things going wrong with my car, whether it's uh, you know spark plugs that stop working or batteries that, that don't work. But one of the ways that I tend to go through life, and even though I know that cars are complicated and I know that there's a lot of things that can go wrong with cars, I have a very simple test to determine if my car is working, namely if I go out and turn the ignition and the car starts, I sort of operate underneath the the premise, whether it's right or wrong or true or not true, that, you know what, the car's fine. If something was wrong with the car, you know, it wouldn't start or, you know, whatever the startup process is that my car goes through, it's going to like check and make sure that everything's working appropriately. Now, you if you know something about cars, you're probably laughing at me uh, because you know that that's a, a faulty approach to take. But, you know, I, I think that that's something that we tend to 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 default to as people is that given a complex system that that with a lot of things that are there, we tend to focus on one aspect and say, this is what I'm going to do to make sure that my car is working appropriately. Does it start? Does it not start? And I think the religious leaders in Jesus's day, you know, they they loved the Old Testament scriptures. They had studied them. They they focused on them. They thought about them. And, they you know, the scriptures were, were big. There was a lot of things that were written. They were complicated. And I think as, as, uh, as those Pharisees and Sadducees began to struggle with and wonder about, like, what's the way that we can determine 
if we are living in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, they came up with a very maybe simplistic answer, but it was works. It was the things that they did, the way that they lived their life. They were able to say, my relationship with God is okay because I can do the things that he asked me to do. I can not murder. I cannot commit adultery. I will not uh, participate in divorce. I'll go to the temple and offer, offer sacrifices. I won't work on the Sabbath. They they felt that their 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 status with the Lord was good. Everything was good because they were able to do these things. And I totally get how they arrived at that conclusion. Uh, I've done the same sort of thing as well in my own walk with the Lord. I've I've said, you know, well, if I'm going to church and if I'm tithing and certainly if I'm serving in Sunday school then everything is okay with my relationship with the Lord because I wouldn't be able to do those things. Uh, I wouldn't be able to, to be in a room with a bunch of high-energy five-year-olds and, and have them read the Bible and do those things if the power of the Spirit wasn't with me. And so we tend to establish litmus tests. We tend to establish ways, very simple ways, that, that we can go in and, and evaluate what is the status of, of my relationship with the Lord and, you know, a lot of times our litmus tests are going to, you know, maybe play to our strengths a little bit, uh, lean into things that we already sort of know we can be successful at, because who wants to have a litmus test of something that's wicked hard, right? If I can go out and turn my car on and validate that it's working, that's way easier than having to go in and like, you know, take off some part of the engine and look at the piston and be like, does everything look good in there? Our, our litmus tests tend to be simple, straightforward, easy. And, and I think what we're going to come across as we take a look at Jesus' teaching in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is that, you know, there is a litmus test that God's interested in, but it's not easy. It's not the simple road. It's not the, the simple on-off binary that we want to have with our car or, or with our religious life. You know, we're going to really see that God is interested in our hearts, He's interested in what's happening in our hearts. He's interested in our heart motivation. He's interested in, in knowing that our hearts are healthy and that our hearts are whole and that our, our actions flow from the condition of our heart. And so God cares about our hearts. And, you know, it's really difficult for us as people to look into somebody else's heart and see what's going on. We, we don't operate that way. It's easy for us to look at things that are much more external. And that's sort of how we operate. We like to operate at the external level. Uh, but again, as God was looking into the hearts of the people of Israel to select the king, he chose David, not because of the way that he looked, but because of David's heart. And in the same way, God is interested and cares about the hearts of his people. He wants our hearts to be whole. And so let's take a look at this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and understand more about how heart condition is going to be important as we seek to live out our role as people who belong in the kingdom of heaven. Let's go ahead and get started. We're going to start off in Matthew 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20, and we're going to take a quick stop. This is an important part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at that first and understand how Jesus' Jesus's relationship to the law and to the prophets, and then we're going to look, beginning in verse 21 through the end of the chapter, uh, how we can understand how we are supposed to live righteously as citizens in the kingdom. So, first of all, Jesus wanted his listeners to know 
that he was not offering something to them that was new or different from what God had already revealed in the Old Testament law. Uh, God, God had revealed his will to his people through Moses in the desert, and, and that law had been in effect from the days of Moses even to Jesus' current day. Jesus wanted the people to know that he was not coming to abolish that law. There were probably a lot of people in Jerusalem that would have been okay with the Old Testament law having been abolished. It was a burdensome law. It was filled with sacrifice. It was filled with ritual. It was filled with regulation. And and many people were probably like, hey, it'd be great if we didn't have to live this way because this is really hard. It's really hard that, that whenever I uh, need to, to you know restore fellowship within my family or within my neighborhood, there's a sacrifice or a fellowship offering. I'm sure it was a burdensome uh, law to live under. And Jesus wanted his hearers to know, I'm not here to get rid of this law. In fact, none of it's going to pass away. Uh, until all of it is accomplished, Jesus explained that he had come to fulfill the law. He had come to uh, put into practice and, and to put into reality some of the ideas and the concepts that were present in the Old Testament law. And, and as the one who was the fulfillment of the law, we're going to see Jesus challenge some of the perceptions that people at this day and age had about how the law was supposed to be enacted. So we're going to see times, especially in Matthew 12, there's going to be uh, some, t- some conflict in Matthew 12 about the Sabbath. Uh, and Jesus is going to challenge the, the the prevailing thoughts of the day about what is the Sabbath supposed to look like, because Jesus refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who has come who will fulfill uh, the true meaning of the Sabbath. Jesus also points out that status in the kingdom of heaven is directly related to teaching and doing what is found in the law and in the prophets. The law would have been the first five books, the books that were uh, attributed to Moses in the in the Old Testament, and then the prophets was really much of the rest of the of the book. The uh, the, the information that was major minor prophets, the wisdom literature, which would include Psalms. So Jesus is referring to the law and the prophets covers a lot of what uh, we would find in the Old Testament's of our Bible. Now, uh, one of the reasons that, that Jesus's ministry is different than that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that Jesus does what he teaches. Uh, Jesus is going to live out what he teaches. And Jesus says that is what establishes greatness in the kingdom of heaven. If you are going to teach and do what you teach. And later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to rebuke the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 for not practicing what they preach. And so what we're seeing is that Jesus is establishing himself as not only the one who is going to be the fulfillment of the law, but Jesus is eligible to be the definitive teacher of the law. He is the one who can interpret and explain what is in the law, because not only does he teach the law, he also is able to live it out perfectly. Jesus finishes this section, uh, this short section in 17 through 20, by telling his audience, remember Jesus is is talking to his disciples. Uh, At this point, we know a few of Jesus's disciples. We know Simon and Andrew are there. We know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so four fishermen are, are there for sure. Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, is there. It's a ragtag bunch. 
they're good at fishing. Uh, they maybe have some other skills that are mixed in. But Jesus sort of finishes this section with something that would have grabbed their attention. Uh, he's going to say, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this has to be like a wait-a-minute moment for the disciples. You know, we've, we've learned in, in, in our day and age, we've learned that the Pharisees were the bad guys, right? We know that they were the ones that ultimately put Jesus to death. Um, you know, and I went and looked at, like, uh, the, the, the people that they've cast in, in movies to be Pharisees, and it's a bunch of, like, angry-looking old guys, right? And so we have this, this perspective in, in our day and age of who the Pharisees are and what do they look like and, and what are their motivations. And I'm not suggesting that, that, that uh, those interpretations of the Pharisees are wrong, uh, but it would have been different in the first century, right? The Pharisees were the guys who were studying Scripture. They were memorizing Scripture. They were teaching Scripture to their children. They were tithing. They were praying. They were fasting. They, some of them had been to seminary. Uh, this group, as a whole, would have been thought of as being you know, pretty righteous, a pretty righteous bunch, living lives that, for the most part, looked right. They looked correct. It looked like they were trying to live out what was in the scriptures. And here is Jesus saying that unless your righteousness exceeds that of these really righteous people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it begs the question, well, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to live lives that are more righteous than the Pharisees? What is that going to look like for us to even begin to do that? You know, I mean, they're looking around, you know, I mean, Peter's a fisherman and other guys are fishermen and you're a tax collector. And how are we supposed to compete in righteousness with this group that looks pretty righteous? They, they look pretty good. Um, and so we're going to learn about that in the next section. Jesus is going to help us understand what does it look like to live lives that are more righteous than the Pharisees. But as we stop at, at this point, at the end of this first section, this first principle that we have is that Jesus is fully qualified to teach God's people. Jesus is fully qualified to teach God's people. In the state of Missouri... I've had a car theme today, I apologize. But in the state of Missouri, you have to have your car inspected for safety and emissions every two years. Uh, And in order to do this, you have to take your car to a mechanic that's been certified in some way, shape, or form by the state of Missouri as a valid inspector. A lot of times there's a sign in the building, green sign, white outline, looks like Missouri. And you know that in that building, there is someone who has been certified and approved by the state of Missouri to safety inspect your vehicle. Don't go to somebody else without the sign, right? Because they are not able to to render your car safe and able to be operated in Missouri for another two years. In, In the same way, one of the points that Matthew's been driving us towards is that Jesus is qualified to teach God's people. He, he's provided some proofs for us up to this point in his passage, his unique lineage, his unique birth, his baptism with John the Baptist, his temptation, the success of his early ministry as a healer. Uh, Jesus is the unique representative for the kingdom of heaven. He has the stamp of his father. 
And and so as we as we enter into this 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 Sermon on the Mount, one of the points that Matthew doesn't want us to miss is that Jesus is someone that we should listen to. We should hear Jesus's words, and we should be ready to 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 think about them, to wrestle with them, to grapple with them, and and ultimately think about what does it mean for us to live lives that are consistent with the teaching of Jesus. And so uh, this is definitely something that Matthew's driving us towards. And and as you begin to think about Jesus and his qualifications, you know, I mean, sometimes you might pull up to a, a Missouri inspection station and think to yourself, man, he's got the sign, but dang, the building is atrocious and there's all these junk cars in the parking lot. Like, is this really someone that I want to have inspect my car for safety and emissions when, you know, there's all these junk cars and, and trash in the parking lot. Uh, and, and so one of the questions that we might have as we come into Jesus's classroom is, you know, what are our objections? What are the concerns that we have about Jesus as he begins to teach? You know, his words are not going to be easy. Uh, you know, the, the, the standard that Jesus holds his disciples to as we move into this next section is high. He, he's not setting a low bar. He's not setting an easy path. Jesus is asking the people that are his disciples to do things that sound really challenging. Now, we're going to continue to see that as we go through the book of Matthew. And, you know, sometimes that can be offensive to us. We, we can hear someone, someone demanding or asking us to do more and to do more and to do more. And, to, and, and, and we can feel like, man, that's, that's, you're asking a lot from me. You're asking more than I want to give, more than I can give. Uh, perhaps you're frustrated with Jesus because of his ancestry, because he's Jewish. And you feel that, you know, that there's something wrong with that. I mean, perhaps you're frustrated with Jesus uh, because, you know, this book that was written about him, you know, we can't, we can't trust all the words in here. Perhaps you're frustrated with Jesus because he didn't go far enough to deal with issues in social justice. Perhaps you're frustrated with Jesus because you've walked with him for a time in your life, you know, and it, it, and it wasn't easy. He didn't meet your needs. The, the, the challenges and the hard things that you had in your life didn't go away. Friends, you and I all have real issues that, that we need to bring to the teacher and say, Lord, I'm, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this situation that you've put me in. I don't know what to do with this hard stuff in my life. Lord, I'm trying to be your disciple. I'm trying to follow after you, but man, you have put me on a hard road in a hard place. Friends, I, I would encourage you to call out to the Lord. Uh, bring those things to him and, and, and let, let Jesus explain and help you understand why he is doing what he is doing. He may not give you a clear answer, but he will give you comfort. He will give you peace. Um, he can handle your questions. He can handle your objections. And so bring them uh, and begin to lay those at the cross in prayer. Uh, begin to lay them in front of your Bible as you study it. Another good thing for us to think about is what are some of the things that Jesus has been teaching us as we've been looking at this book of Matthew? What are some of the ways that he's revealed his character? What are some of the ways that he's revealed his majesty? What are some of the ways that he's revealed his attributes to you as you've been in, the, as you've been in Bible study so far this year or even in your life? What are some of the things that Jesus has been teaching you as you've studied his word. Well, let's move on into verses 21 uh, through 48. We're, we're, we're left with the question at the end of verse 20 of, well, what does it look like 
to be more righteous than the Pharisees. What is that going to look like in our lives? How is it that we're going to live that way? Um, Jesus is going to begin to address that by looking at six different characteristics or six different, uh, uh, I don't know, issues, items, uh, perspectives. I don't know the right word. There's two groups to three. Uh, the first one is in chapter 5 from 21 to 32. Jesus talks about anger, lust, and divorce. And then in verse 33, he says again. Uh, and so this is the next group of three, and it's from 33 to 48, and it's looking at oaths, retaliation, and then love for your enemy. So uh, in each of these areas, Jesus is going to hold out an outward action, which is actually good. It's not a bad action. So we're going to look at the outward action. Jesus is then going to talk about a heart condition that uh, needs to be addressed in order, to, in order to have your action line up with what's in your heart. So there's going to always be a heart condition. And then I'm going to title this last part, a heart action. Jesus is going to give direction on the way that people are to live in light of this this new heart condition that Jesus is revealing. So here's how this we'll do the first one and then I'll, I'll follow the pattern. We'll see how it goes. So 21 to 26, anger. So the outward action that Jesus talks about, you have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. Now, not murdering people is good. That is a good outward action for us to have. Uh, but Jesus goes on to say that, you know, not murdering people is good, but there's a heart condition we have to be cognizant of that lines up with murder, and that's anger. And and if you're not murdering people, but your heart is filled with anger, with your brother, with other people, with your spouse, with your family, if your heart is filled with anger, that is a problem. That is a problem, and that needs to be addressed Jesus goes on to, to talk about, like, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. If you call somebody a fool, you'll be liable to the fire of hell. And Jesus talks about the action that we should take. And the action is interesting. Um, he's talking about this, the altar, the sacrificial system that would have been present at the day. But the implication, as I was thinking about this, is that if you go to the altar to restore your relationship with the Lord... And you remember that your brother is angry with you. There's anger in your brother. You're not necessarily angry, but your brother is angry or your sister is angry. Jesus is saying, take action to resolve that anger before you offer your sacrifice. Go to your brother and be reconciled. Then come back and offer your gift. Friends, the mandate is that if somebody, if if you are involved in a situation where anger, uh, someone is angry with you, Go deal with it. Go deal with it. And if you're angry with someone, the implication is is that you sh- they should be coming to you. You should be dealing with the anger uh, because the, the, the heart condition that leads to murder is anger. So not murdering is good, but deal with your heart condition. Deal with anger that's in your heart and work to resolve that because God wants us to be whole. He wants us to be consistent people. He wants our, our not murdering actions to be lined up with our not angry hearts. So let's look at the next one, 27 to 30, lust. The outward action that he cites is, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And again, not committing adultery is good. 
It's a good thing. It is something that, that, you know, yes, we should not do that. But Jesus goes on to say that there's a heart condition that can lead to adultery, and that heart condition is lust. And so the, the way that we look at women, the way that we look at things that are around us, our thought life, the things that we take in with our eyes, these are things that can bring about sinful activities that are equivalent to adultery in our hearts. And so the, the radical action that Jesus points to, he talks about cutting off eyes and hands. Um, I don't know if we should take that literally. Uh, I don't know if that was the intent necessarily. Uh, but we should take radical action. We should take radical action to prevent the see and take cycle. We've seen it throughout the, the Bible to this point. Eve saw the fruit, she saw that it was good, and then she took it. So her eyes and her hands resulted in her seeing, desiring, and then acting on the lust. And so if we need to to do something radical to break the see-take cycle, then we need to be willing to do that. We need to be willing to do that. We need to be able to, to cast off the sinful part of us and throw it away. We should be ready to cast off the sinful parts of our hearts and throw it away uh, for the sake of our entire body. Uh, divorce, 31 to 32. Uh, the outward action that Jesus talks about is that not getting divorced is good. Uh, that is something that is to be commended and upheld. Like, it is good to remain married. Now, Jesus offers a reason, a legitimate reason, for people to become divorced, and he says it's sexual immorality. He says that sexual immorality is a legitimate reason to get divorced. It doesn't mandate that a divorce should happen. But Jesus says that there is a legitimate reason, there's legitimate grounds for divorce, and that's sexual immorality. Now, this was not the only reason that people got divorced in the first century, right? The sexual morality was a reason that divorce happened, but it wasn't the only reason. And so when there were other reasons that led to divorce, uh, Jesus is saying, you know, there's a heart condition. There's a heart condition that's happening. Spouses, married couples, you are closing your hearts off from each other. Uh, you know, the road to divorce for most people is not fast. I had a, a close friend of mine, been married for 20 years, he recently got divorced. And I'm telling you that the problems in the marriage didn't begin in year 19 or in year 20. They were probably there for a long time. And there are thousands of little things that can happen between a married couple that can lead to their hearts closing to each other and to those people wanting to walk away from the relationship and get a divorce, to start over, to start a new life, a new married life with somebody else. And, and what I will say, to, so first of all, if you're not married, like you should focus on the other five, right? There are six things that Jesus has kind of laid out here for people to work on. If you're a single person, don't worry about this one, right? This one's probably not for you yet. The time may come when it is, but for it's because it's going to be easy if you're single to sort of stand in the seat of judgment on this one because you don't struggle with this because you're not married. Right? So what I would say is that if you're not married, focus on the other five. Married couples, like friends, I, I've been married for 26 years, and I'm going to tell you that like you need to get really good at confessing your sin to your spouse because we hurt each other. 
people hurt other people, right? I mean, anger, is that present in a marriage? It certainly can be. Is lust a problem in a marriage? Yeah, it is, right? Is retaliation a problem in marriage? Yeah, it is. It can be. And so what I would say to you as married people is like, go to your spouse and and seek forgiveness, Tell them that you've made a mistake. Tell them that you're wrong. Get better at listening to one another. Get better at forgiving each other. Uh, and that is going to help keep your hearts open towards your, uh, towards your spouse, towards the person that you're married to. So there's an again in verse 33. Our second group of three is going to be oaths, retaliation, and love for enemies. So with oaths, uh, the outward action that Jesus points to is do not swear falsely. Not swearing falsely is good. It's a good thing. Uh, but what Jesus is saying, you know, taking an oath at all is a problem. Jesus is encouraging people to just be a person of your word, and your word should just be yes or no. And he points out that we, we are people that lack power. Uh, when we take an oath, we're, we're, we're bringing some other thing into that relationship, whether it's the hair on our head or the temple or the, the, the city of Jerusalem or whatever, we're, we're trying to say that by this other thing, by the virtue of this other thing, I will do what I said that I will do. And Jesus is like, look, just say yes or no and stick to it. And that's going to be a lot better than taking an oath. 38 to 42, retaliation. Uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The idea is that there shouldn't be escalatory retaliation. So non-escalatory retaliation is good. If somebody does something to you and you lose a cow, they're going to repay you a cow. And, and, and that's the idea that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is that the retaliation is equal. Whatever someone did to you, that is as far as, as the penalty or the judge should go. And what Jesus is saying, you know what? On the equality scales, on retaliation, you should be okay with the scales being tipped in that person's favor. We should be okay with that. We should be okay not being taken advantage of, not being like downtrodden, not being abused, but like if there's an opportunity for, you know, for if the scales could be set level, you know, we should be okay with them tipped in the in favor of the other person. Your cow was killed and you got a sheep out of the deal. That's not an equal trade. But Jesus is saying, you know, um, it's okay for the scales to not be even. The other thing that Jesus says, the radical action part of this, is he's like, do more than what is demanded of you. He talks about if someone would sue you and take your your tunic, just give them your cloak. Uh, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. And, and, and so Jesus is saying that not only should we be okay with the scales being tipped in someone else's favor, we should be willing to go beyond what is demanded of us as we seek to bring uh, reconciliation with our neighbors, with the people that we live with. The hardest one is the last one, verses 43 through 48. Love your enemies. Uh, you know, the, the thing that's good to do, the outward action that we're, that we're okay with, is to love your friends. And, you know, hate your enemies or just don't love them. Um, but loving our friends, loving our friends is good. Uh, but Jesus says that the... The, the, the hard action, the different action, the, the radical action is to think about, you know, love your friends, but also love your enemies. And, and 
I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a list of people in my life that I keep track of and say like, well, so and so is my enemy. Like, you know, I don't have like the enemy list. Like, but but you know, I mean, the the people who are out to get you, the neighbor that doesn't like you, uh, the 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 boss who is always trying to find you doing something wrong, the family member who took advantage of you. You know, there are people out there that that you know we probably just don't like being around. Because they don't like us, or because we've had disagreements with them in the past, whatever the reason is. Um, and, and the challenge that Jesus puts before us is that, you know, God chose to be reconciled to humans when we were his enemies, when we hated him, uh, when we wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, God sends rain on the just and the unjust. And, and uh, if God is willing to love his enemies, then as God's children, as people in God's kingdom, our goal is to be like God. And that's sort of the implication with the last verse, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect may not be the best word uh, to describe this relationship, but we should be wholehearted. We should be consistent. Uh, We should not be hypocrites. God is not a hypocrite. And we are called to not be hypocrites as well. We're called to be wholehearted, to be consistent. Uh, As we strive to be like God, we should become more and more like him in our wholeheartedness. The principle of this section is that God wants to bring about change from the inside out. God wants to change our hearts. He wants to make our hearts uh, pure and whole. And then our actions will follow you know, the way that we think about the world, right? The way that we think about how we're going to help our hearts is like, we're going to say like, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to go run. I'm going to do these external activities and it's going to have a positive benefit on my heart. My heart's going to be healthy. I'm going to have Cheerios. I'm going to do things that are going to like make my heart healthy. I, there's, there's things that I can do that from the outside, they're going to push in and they're going to make my heart healthier. It's going to beat stronger. It's going to pump more blood. It's going to, it's going to have a lower heart rate. There's all these good things that are going to happen. And, and those things are true for our physical hearts, not for our spiritual hearts. There's, there's no way that we can take good deeds and, and have them push in and deal with the anger and the lust and, and, and the broken marriage relationships and the oats and the retaliations. and We can't fix it from the outside. We, we can't have our actions push back in and make their way into our heart. And God knows this. God knows that any attempt to try to change your heart from the outside in is only going to look like hypocrisy because you can't do it. You can't bring about that kind of change in your heart by the things that you do on the outside. And, and God knows that the way that, that we are going to flourish, the way that we are going to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near, the way that we are going to experiencing blessing in this world is to have our hearts changed. And then... Our lives will change. Our actions will change. The way that we treat other people will change. And God wants us to flourish. And he knows that we need to have our hearts dealt with first. So what work has God been doing on your heart? What's he changing? What's he pointing out? What's he revealing to you as something that you know might need to be a little bit different in the way that you live, in the way that you think, in the way that you feel? What are some things that need to change in your heart? And you know we can resist that change. 
you know, and this is one of the amazing things. Like, right, Lord of the universe, God made everything, can do everything. When we're like, nope. No. Don't do that. God says, okay. He allows us to participate with him. We can resist what he's doing, or we can participate with what the Lord's doing. And how have you resisted? And how have you participated with what the Lord's been doing in your heart? And as God's been working here, what have you noticed here? What have you noticed in your hands and feet as, as you've been uh, changed by God? What, has, what have you been able to do that you weren't able to do before? Have you been able to love someone who originally in your life was unlovable? Uh, have you been able to uh, you know, care for someone? Have you been able to forgive someone? What are some things that have changed action-wise that have come from the changes that God has brought about in your heart? Well, as we wrap up, the bad news is God knows what's in our hearts. He knows. He knows what's there. He knows exactly what's in my heart. He knows exactly what's in your heart. Um, the good news is God knows what's in our hearts. And he wants to bring about heart change. He wants to change our hearts. And this isn't like a new thing. This isn't a new thing that, that all of a sudden Jesus showed up and he's like, heart change, new thing. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In the same way that Jesus is coming as the fulfillment of, of all that was written in the law and the prophets, the, the mission that God has to, to dwell with people, the mission that God has to, to be present with his people, the mission that God has to, to walk in the garden with his creation, he is going to fulfill that. And he knows that heart change is what's needed in us to be able to begin that process to occur. And the question for you and I is, are we going to let God complete this work? Because miraculously, God wants us to participate with him. Are we going to let God, are we going to participate with God as he does this great work of heart change in his people so that we can flourish and experience his blessing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you are a true heart surgeon. Um, Lord, uh, you have a desire to restore the relationship that we as people broke and uh, to bring us back into a place where we can be in your presence and experience the fullness of life. Lord, not because of anything that we've done or that we're able to do, but because of what you want to accomplish and what you are accomplishing uh, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for being willing to renovate us and restore us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to cooperate with you because we are stubborn people. Uh, our hearts are hard, and Lord, I pray that you would work on us so that we would take our hands off uh, and allow you to work. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. Have a great week.